what Pastor Mike said, patience in prayer. It's something we do really well, right? I don't think so. Uh, it's hard. Last Saturday, I had the privilege of speaking to a young lady about her faith. And she was sharing with me that uh, even though she knows God, she knows Christ, uh, she has a lot of questions in this day and age. A lot of things are being thrown at her that um, she doesn't really understand and is really wondering a lot about God. And I tried to assure her, and I told her I'd pray with her and pray for her. This past week, I talked to a young man at a hardware store in Dover, and um, he had a dangly cross hanging from his ear. And that looked like an open door for me. He didn't seem like much of a good kind of guy. He wasn't bad, but tattoos all over the place and the dangly earring and stuff. So as he was uh, waiting on me, I asked him about the, uh, the cross on his ear. And he said, well, you know, it doesn't mean anything. Uh, and I said, well, surely it means something. You wouldn't have it there. And he said, well, my grandparents and parents, uh, both are religious people. He said, I'm not, uh, but I'm doing it in honor of them. And so I had the opportunity to share with him just a little bit. And I challenged him to really think about this. And as I, as I come to the text this morning in Jude, and I, I encourage you, as you saw, to read through the book of Jude several times as we uh, spend three weeks here. Uh, but Jude was facing a situation in his own culture where he wanted to address one thing for the church and ended up addressing something else because of the circumstance that he was living in. And the circumstance then was not so much different than it is right now. People are saying that the Bible isn't really legitimate. We're going to address that in a little bit. Uh, it was good for then, it's not good for now. Morality was a thing that we, uh, we really look at, and in the past it meant this, and today it means something else. And uh, government, you know, uh, we could believe them then, but, uh, you know, no matter which party you're uh, for or against, it seems like it's hard to trust. What's happening in Ukraine, uh, what's happening in Israel and the Middle East, all of these issues are very, very strong issues in our culture today, and they have been throughout the history. Um, but our young people particularly, but it's not just young people, a lot of people are questioning, is Christianity really valid for us today? Or is it just this old thing like the Apostles' Creed? I learned the Apostles' Creed when I was a young kid, and I memorized it, because that's what we did in the church I was raised in. But do we really understand that the creeds were given largely because it was a mnemonic tool? It was something that uh, people could memorize because they didn't have their little iPhones that they carried with them and everything to pop it up and uh, Google searches. Uh, so they memorized the creeds to help them to, to understand what it was that they believed and why they believed it. So that's kind of where Jude is going in this whole um, little letter. I want to address it this morning by saying that this is a message to the church, but it's, it's a strong warning as we get down into the letter uh, probably the third week. Um, but I, I think it's important to understand where it's coming from and where he's coming from. Uh, so today and for the next two Sundays, we're going to be looking at the book of Jude. And although it's a small book, a small letter, uh, it contains a lot of information I believe is going to be helpful for us in today's culture. Uh, recently, I began reading the works of Francis Schaeffer. Francis Schaeffer was a, an author, a Christian man who uh, lived in Europe, uh, and he wrote mainly in the 20th century. Uh, but I began reading uh, early this year uh, the five-volume set of his writings. Uh, actually, it contains all 22 of his uh, books. Uh, I've read several of the books, but never read them in uh, uh, the order in which they're placed. So I began reading them largely because Francis Schaeffer had a lot of good things for us to think about philosophically and theologically that I believe that we're, we're starting to find ourselves in churches losing ground as to what people really believe and why they believe it. And so we have this divide that's taking place in evangelical churches. 
Uh, Barna writes about it. Pastor Bruce, our pastor in Dover, has been sharing some of what Barna has been writing about the division that's taking place in our culture and why it's happening and how we should approach it. So this morning, we're going to look at uh, Jude and specifically how he began to approach that uh, situation. I hope this is nothing that I broke. Should this be? Okay. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> when it fell, I didn't know what it was. Uh, but really where we are now in our culture is we, we have something that we say is truth, something we say that's not truth, and then we don't like either one of those, so we come up with a synthesis. Now, that's not new. That's nothing that, uh, uh, that we generated. That actually, uh, according to Schaefer, started back uh, in the 19th century. A man by the name of Hegel, a German philosopher, uh, didn't like the idea of this is right and this is wrong, so he thought there should be a better way to do this. So we came up with the idea we'll have a thesis and we'll have an antithesis, which is the opposite, and then we'll put those two things together and come up with a, a better way of thinking or a better way of doing things, and he introduced that into philosophy and into theology. So today it might look like this as we look to the book of uh, Jude. So the thesis would be this, and this is my thesis, and hopefully it is for most of you, if not all of you, the Bible is the word of God. That's the thesis. That's the truth. Well, obviously, the antithesis of that, which be, and much of our culture believes this, no, the Bible is not really the word of God. So there's your thesis and there's your antithesis. Well, what Hegel decided was, well, that's not really good, you know, because we're constantly going to be warring with each other. So let's talk about this and let's come up with a synthesis. So the synthesis that he came up with uh, would be this. He introduced this into philosophy as well as theology. The Bible contains the word of God. Now, there's a big difference between the Bible is the Word of God and the Bible contains the Word of God. Because if you believe the Bible contains the Word of God and that's your basis for life, what you have is you can now pick and choose the parts of the Bible that you think are legitimate and true, and you can throw out the rest saying that it's not really legitimate, which is what he liked to do. So that's kind of the atmosphere uh, that Jude was writing into long before Hegel even thought about it. That's what Jude was writing into. He wanted to write, as we'll see next week, about one subject, and the Lord laid upon his heart to write about something totally different. So to introduce this little letter, we want to look this morning at who wrote it and the audience he was writing to, uh, to help us better understand in the 21st century how we can apply it. So the author and the audience are described for us in verse 1. So if you have your Bibles there, I encourage you to follow along. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James. To those who have been called, who are loved by God, the Father who kept, or her heart kept by Jesus Christ. So there's some important stuff in those few verses. First of all, uh, the word for servant is the common Greek word doulos. It actually meant servant or slave, and it could have been used of a bond servant or one who freely gave himself into slavery or one who was forced into slavery and purchased. Either way would apply doulos. But notice how Jude starts this. Uh, my name is Jude, and I am a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. So how does he see himself? He doesn't see himself as anyone special. He sees himself as one who's committed to Jesus Christ. So if you forget everything else about the message this morning, remember this about Jude. Jude is saying, I am writing these letters and these words because I am committed to Jesus Christ. And he has given me this little letter. He's given me these words, specifically these words, to write to you because of an issue we have. And again, the issue is very similar to what we're facing in the 21st century. There are people saying all kinds of things about the word of God to dis, uh, disclaim the word of God as being truth. And so Jude felt that he needed to write. Well, his identity. Uh, there have been several suggestions. One commentator says, according 
according to his study, uh, which is the Bible Knowledge Commentary, uh, there are three possibilities as to who wrote this letter. One was it could have been written by the half-brother of Jesus, uh, Judas was his name, or Jude. Uh, another possibility would be the, uh, the apostle uh, named Judas, which is a different man. And there was still another man he refers to called uh, Judas or Jude, who was a leader in the church. And he says either one of these could have been the author. Another commentator says, and this is the Expositor's Bible Commentary, uh, there were eight different men named Judas or Jude in the New Testament, named in the New Testament. But he says thorough study of each of those would bring you back to the conclusion that most likely this letter was written by Jesus' half-brother uh, Jude or Judas, uh, which is where I lean toward. Uh, but the bottom line is that doesn't matter who wrote it uh, as much as it does what he had to say. Uh, but I think it's important for us if we're going to believe the Word of God that we believe what the Word of God says, even about its authorship. And so we believe that Jude, the half-brother of Jesus, wrote. But what he says about his character, I think, is important. And we come back to that idea of a bond slave. Have you ever thought of yourself as being a bond slave or a servant to Jesus Christ? I hope so. But what does that really mean? Well, that really means that whatever Jesus Christ asked me to do, I will do unquestioningly. Because, you see, he's my master. And a servant serving a master doesn't have a choice as to how he's going to live his life. He doesn't care for his own needs because the master cares for his needs. He doesn't have to go out and buy groceries because the master does that. Now, masters didn't always do that well, but still the principle is there. So what Judah is saying is everything I need is provided for me by my master. Uh, now, in Second Peter chapter 1, uh, Peter writes about that, and it says everything we need for life and godliness is provided for us by God himself. Everything we need for life and godliness. Uh, and that's without exception. And Jude was taking this idea and writing about it to those who would read his letter. It wasn't one specific church, but Christians in general in his day. So thus we see that Jude was not so much a special person, half-brother of Jesus, as a servant who wanted you to know that he was dedicated to Jesus Christ and by implication to the words about Jesus Christ, to his teachings in the New Testament and certainly about the Old Testament as well. Well, given just a, a brief overview of the author, I want to look at the audience now and help you to understand the audience. Several little words here that are so important in the original language and we brush by them if we're not careful. Notice again it says, to those who have been called. Now what does that word call really identify with? Well, as we understand the calling, and I'll give you some references here in a moment from others who have studied this, the calling refers to something about the people, not the people themselves. So identifying as the called, he is saying those who have been called by Jesus Christ. Jude identifies that that's what he's writing about, and that's who he's writing about, and he says now to the called. Well, that really speaks, as, as Pastor Mike was mentioning earlier, that really speaks to the ministry of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, as part of the Trinity, is the one who uh, extends the call to us, call to Christianity, as Jude was referring to, uh, call to God Almighty in the Old Testament. The Holy Spirit still had that privilege and um, priority in his life uh, as a person, as a third person of the Trinity. But think of yourself as the call. Do you think of yourself as called? If you think of yourself as called, then what have you been called to? 
Okay, and again, right here in this first verse, Jude makes it very evident that what he is speaking of is my calling to serve Jesus Christ. So this whole letter is going to be addressed to Christians, to those who have been called by the Holy Spirit to follow the Lord Jesus Christ in the work of God Almighty. Now, the United uh, Bible Studies uh, actually produced a commentary series uh, used uh, for many, many years now to help those who are interpreting or translating the Bible overseas, primarily in different languages. And they wrote this commentary with the idea of if you're trying to translate uh, the Bible into this language, you might need to look at this verb or, or, or this adjective or something. So it helps us to take the word of God in the original language of the Greek primarily and translate it in a way that another culture, which doesn't have the same grammar as English thinkers have, to translate it in such a way that they would be able to understand it in their own vernacular, in their own given language. And having said that, we talk about this idea that using the term called was synonymous in the New Testament really with the idea of Christians. So if you talked about the called in the New Testament, you were really talking about Christians. And so to try to translate that into another language, uh, this particular commentary series wants us to understand that this is one way you could do it. So now think of yourself not just as the called, but the called to be Christians. We just recited the Apostles' Creed a little bit ago, which is full of the things that we believe because we are children of God, because we've been called by the Holy Spirit, because we've been set apart by the Father, because we have been set apart into glory and salvation by the person of Jesus Christ. This is what he's talking about. Why? Because when you're in the midst of difficult circumstances, it's very important to remember that these words, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. First given in the Old Testament, then repeated in the New Testament. The idea is even if it seems like everything around you is God, it was given to Joshua at the time he was taking over leadership and Moses was gone. And he was concerned about being able to lead the Old Testament uh, believers. And God gave him that promise. I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. In the midst of a culture that is so mixed up uh, in morality, in, in gender, in, in politics, uh, in what we should do in wartime, when we are so mixed up, Jude would have us to say, if he were standing here today, just remember, you are called, you are Christians, and you are servants of the Lord Jesus Christ. So your primary concern is not the political agenda, not what's happening in Ukraine with Russia. Those are important things. We should pray about them. Uh, we should be involved with them. But the primary thing to remember is you are a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. Nations have come and nations have gone, and America probably will as well before, uh, before Jesus comes, the way things are going. But even in the midst of all of that, Jesus never will. He is always there for us. I have called you, Jude says, loved by the Father. You know, that's a difficult topic for some people who did not have a good father image. My dad was a hugger. He just... Uh, he loved to give bear hugs, and if you didn't like hugs, well, you were kind of out of luck because he was going to hug you anyway. Uh, that's just who he was, and, and I missed, I still miss my dad's uh, hugs. He's been gone many, many years. But you know, what does it mean when you hug somebody, when you really love somebody? What are you trying to communicate to them? I think you're trying to communicate to them that they're not alone, that there is somebody who cares about them, that there is somebody who is bigger than they are outside of their circumstance that can speak into their circumstance and that's really what Jude is talking about here loved by the father loved by the father loved by the father you know I, I had eye surgery this past Wednesday uh, 
I had uh, another one a month ago. Uh, but when they took the eye patch off uh, Thursday morning, I had double vision. That shocked me. I've never had double vision before. Maybe some of you have experienced it. But I was sitting there in the waiting room when they took the patch off, and I said, what is this? It was difficult. And uh, throughout the, the next few days, it's been difficult. Reading is tough. So I, I teasingly told Berlin, if I seem to uh, be closing my eye and looking, it's because I can see out of one eye or the other, but not both. And I told her, I'm going to tell the congregation, if I do this, I'm not winking at you, I promise. It's just I'm, I'm trying to see the text. But you know, in those moments, that's not what I expected from this surgery. Because when the first one happened, I didn't have double vision. I thought everything was going to be, uh, be fixed when? Right away, right? Surgery takes care of it. That doesn't always happen, though. So God's been teaching me again. Wait. What did Pastor Mike say earlier? Wait. Patience. Patience is not easy, and it is not uh, it's not really natural. Patience, I would say, would fall into the category of the supernatural. It's something that we have to train ourselves in. And that's what Jude was trying to help these people. So he next talks about three things. The divine provisions, mercy, and peace, and love. What do we know about mercy? Well, mercy is something that we don't really deserve. That's the best way I can think of it. Mercy is God extending to us something that we don't deserve. The Bible tells us that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So what do we deserve? We deserve to be out of the presence of God because of our sin. But God extends mercy to us through his son, Jesus Christ. And now that we are Christians, if we are, we have mercy. And so Jude, addressing this Christian audience, wants them to understand. God loves to extend mercy to you. More than anything else, he loves to extend mercy to you. Now, how often do you fail God? Uh, well, if you're like me, you do that pretty frequently. That's called sin. And certainly it's not the, the depth of sin that I used to be involved with before I was saved, but little things like disobeying God, not doing what he asks us to do. Uh, any number of things that could fall into that category. But you know, do we ever even call it sin anymore? What is, what, what is transgenderism all about anymore? Well, it's really just an alternative lifestyle, right? That's what our culture wants us to believe, but that's certainly not what the Bible teaches. We were having our devotions last night, and we read the passage in the Old Testament. It says God created man and woman, male and female. Nothing different than that. So no matter what philosophers, psychologists, medical people want you to understand, the word of God, if we believe it's true, and I do, and that's what Jude, Jude is basing this all on. If you believe that, then this idea of transgenderism is not biblical. We can love these people, and we should. And it can go into any category of sin that you want to talk about. But sin is something that God disapproves, but he gives us mercy to overcome through his son, Jesus Christ. That's the work of God. But he also extends to us peace. I love the Apostle Paul's words in Philippians, the peace that passes all understanding and guards our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. As you begin to memorize scripture and read scripture and become familiar with scripture, Old Testament and New Testament seem to blend together and you get this idea. God promises that when I'm in the deepest, darkest days of my life, he promises me peace. And it's peace that is mine, not because I am anything special, it's because I have Jesus Christ and his Holy Spirit dwells within me and that's where the peace comes from. Not in a situation, but in the person of Jesus Christ that resides within me. There's mercy and there's peace and there's love. 
Now, again, what do we think of love? We have seen this term so devastated throughout our lifetimes, whether you're older uh, like I am or maybe older yet or, or younger. Love certainly does not mean to us what it did in the Old Testament. C.S. Lewis wrote a book uh, years ago called The uh, Four Love Language, or Four Loves, and he talks about each of the four Greek words uh, that are used for love, and, and the one that's most often used in the New Testament is the word agape, which means a self-giving love. That means that the love that you give is always more important to the other person than it is to you. So I'm not concerned about what I'm going to get out of the love that I give. I am more concerned about the person that I give the love to and how it's going to benefit them. So if I'm loving my wife, I'm loving my kids, I'm loving my grandkids, or I'm loving a, a stranger with a, a cross dangling from his ear, love is based upon the benefit to the individual that I can give to them because the Spirit of God dwells within me and I represent the Lord Jesus Christ. So Jude is wanting us to understand that in relationships, as we understand this letter, in relationships to the ungodly that are making their way into the church, which is what he's going to be talking about, I want you to live this way. You are a child of God. You are a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ, and you should represent yourself in that way. So what's the thesis again? Remember, the Bible is the word of God. What's the antithesis? The Bible is not the word of God. But in our culture, and for the last 150 years or so, uh, it has been not so. The Bible contains the word of God. So the question I have for us this morning is how are we living our lives in this mixed up culture? I still believe America is the best country going. I really do. But we have a lot of problems. So how do we live our lives? Do we live our lives in such a way that the unsaved will look at us and listen to us and watch the way that we live our lives and see that there's something attractive about the way that we're living our lives? Or are we like everyone else? We're griping and groaning about everything that's not going the way that we think it should. We do that in our little clusters in a coffee shop. Maybe outside the sanctuary as Christians we do that. We're complaining about Mr. Biden and, uh, and everyone else. And we're complaining about the Congress. And we're complaining about the Supreme Court. Uh, the Roe v. Wade decision didn't go the way we wanted or it did go the way we wanted. And we get all wrapped up in all these kinds of things. And we forget what Jude's wanting us to focus on. And that is that the word of God is the word of God. And that's what I base my life on. Not what the government can provide for me. Not what the military can provide for me. I was in the military. You've heard me say that before. And I believe in the military. But it's none of those things. It's Jesus Christ and him crucified. And the Holy Spirit dwelling in us. So what do we learn from just these first two verses? Well, I think it's important to understand that Jude had a, a positive view of himself. He did not think more highly of himself as Paul challenges us. He did not think of himself more highly than he should. He saw himself as a servant of Jesus Christ, but he saw himself with a task to demonstrate to other people that this is the way that we should live in this corrupt world in which we live. And that was in the first century. We're in the 21st now. Have things changed much? Well, some would say they've gotten worse, but if you go back to your history books and your study, we've been here before. We haven't had all of the modern technology that we have now, but we had the debauchery. You know, go back and look at the Greek and the Roman empires. Uh, the debauchery was bad. They, they burned Christians as torches in the streets. Uh, that was pretty bad. Uh, we're not doing that in America today, and I'm thankful. may get to that point someday. I don't know. But, but what we focus on, according to Jude, according to the Holy Spirit, is that Jesus Christ is with us. And that's where this peace comes from, the mercy, the love, and the peace. 
So what is peace to us? When I say the word peace, what comes to your mind? Just think with me for a moment. I kind of think of satisfaction. Satisfaction with where I am and the knowledge that God knows exactly where I am. And if I'm not living in active sin right now, then I know that God's allowing this to happen for whatever reason. Now, if I am living in active sin, uh, there's a formula for that, confess and repent and get back right with God. But if we are not living in active sin right now, whatever we are have, whatever we are experiencing right now is part of what God has for us. Do you believe that this morning? <laughs> that was kind of weak. Uh, hopefully you just don't want to commit yourself out loud. But, but that's what God has for us. That's where the peace comes from. That's where the peace comes from. Love protects from evil. And certainly we live in a society that knows a lot about evil. Even if you're watching a television program, it's a good television program that you enjoy. It's not going to be too long until the commercials come on. And you're going to see all kinds of things that maybe you don't want to see or shouldn't see. And it's not based on love. It's based on all kinds of things. So we are challenged almost from the moment we wake up in the morning until we go to bed at night. But it doesn't stop there. I think even our dream lives, according to the scriptures, can be affected by Satan trying to attack us even in our dreams. So 24-7 we are called to be servants of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if we continue to work on that, we're never going to accomplish that while we're breathing here. We won't. It's impossible for us as humans to do that. But when we get our new bodies and we become supernatural, we will understand a lot of this stuff. And I don't think the questions we're going to ask Jesus or God the Father are going to be, why did Moses do that? Or why did my mom do that? I don't think those are going to be the kinds of questions we ask. In fact, I'm not sure that we're going to ask any questions as I study the scriptures. I think we're going to be so busy praising God, praising Jesus Christ in perfection. That that's going to occupy most of our time. The nature of the situation that Jude was writing was that his readers were about to be faced with situations that were going to be difficult to them. And he wanted them to be prepared. So in the fullest measure of God's mercy and peace and love, Jude writes this letter. Jude was overflowing with love for these people. And I think that should be a picture of every evangelical church, any place in the world. We should be full of the love of the people around us and of the unsaved people outside as well because they are God's creation. But that's not the end of this section. He says that I want this to be yours in abundance. Love, mercy, peace in abundance. What does abundance mean? Well, it actually comes from the root word multiplied in the original language, which is the idea that greater and greater and greater. You'll never understand the fullness of abundance because God will keep giving it to you and giving it to you and giving it to you. Abundance of what? Abundance of love, abundance of peace, abundance of mercy. You cannot ever reach the end of what God is willing to give to us as we obey him and follow him. Isn't that a beautiful picture of what God is willing to do for us? here in the 21st century, as well as back in the first century. Be multiplied to you 
is similar to the expression found in 1 Peter 1-2. And the Phillips translation puts it this way. And I really like this. You might want to jot this down. May you ever experience more and more of mercy, peace, and love. More and more. More and more. Do you have anybody in your life right now that's pretty hard to get along with? Maybe you can say you don't even like them a lot. I certainly do. I imagine you do as well. How do you get beyond that? How do you demonstrate to them that you really do care about them? You don't like what they're doing, but you love them. It's by acting the way Jesus acted. You know, when Jesus was in this world, I would challenge you, and this is going to require you to read the whole New Testament. If you want to do that this week, that's good. But, you know, when Jesus was here, he did not address political issues. Why did not Jesus address political issues? Well, we don't know for sure, but we can speculate because that wasn't the issue he came to address. He came to address the issue of sin and lostness, and he provided for us a way to overcome that. And so all the other issues, and they were not unimportant to Jesus, even in his day, he did not ignore them. He just felt that if a different view took place, a challenge to follow him, Jesus Christ, his father, and to be filled by the Holy Spirit, which would come beginning in the book of Acts. If you would do that, then maybe the world would just change and be more like Jesus. Today we call that revival. And if you've studied revival throughout the ages, revival has always begun when people get so fed up with the world as Christians that they begin to pray. And when they begin to pray, they begin to repent of the sin that's in their lives, of the way that they've been disobeying God. And sometimes, just sometimes, God allows the Holy Spirit to fall in a very unusual and powerful way. Amen. Wouldn't it be great if this morning that were to happen right here? Amen. I've been praying for revival since I entered ministry in 1983 and began to understand what revival was. But a preacher that I used to love, he's long since gone to be with the Lord.